0: Go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Now, we're not going to read our text at the outset of the message, but we will be reading from the 10th chapter of Romans in just a few moments. We'll read the first 10 verses, and then we'll read verse 13. I'm going to begin this message in a most unusual way. I was asking Joni just a moment ago, I wonder what people will say when I begin the message this way. But it is my hope and it is my prayer that no one in this building or watching by live stream who is a member of this church needs this message this morning. Now you say, why would you say that? Isn't that sort of odd, you know, shouldn't a preacher want the people that he's speaking to, especially as church members, to need the message, to hear the message that he's sharing? And certainly most of the time I do. Because that's what a preacher is supposed to do. He's supposed to share a message from God's Word and give God's people what they need from the Word of God. But this morning, I hope you don't need this message. But it's my prayer that if you do, that you'll listen carefully. In fact, all of us would do well to listen carefully to this message this morning and let the Lord speak to our hearts. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so in a while, just to make a check of your salvation this morning. Just to make sure that you know, that you know, that you know, that you are saved. You see, with the presence of COVID, with what's going on in our world, and especially in Afghanistan, with the amount of crime we're seeing, violent crime that we're seeing in our nation and right here in our own city, I think it's only safe to make certain that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior today. And if there's any doubt, if there's any question, that you'd get that settled today. Of all of the needs of humanity, what is mankind's greatest need? Is it education? If it were education, Jesus would have come as a teacher, wouldn't he? As an educator. If it were economics... Jesus would have come as an economist. If it were peace, Jesus would have come as a diplomat. But why did Jesus come? What did he say in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10? I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came into this world for an express purpose, and that was to go to the cross, to die there as the sacrifice for mankind's need. To be buried, to come out of the tomb in the resurrection and to ascend back into the presence of the Father where today he's at the right hand of God making intercession for us as the scripture says. Mankind's greatest need is salvation. We might think, oh it's food, it's water, it's these things. No, mankind's greatest need is salvation because I'm going to tell you a little fact of life and our mother used to say this all the time, you're all going to die if you live long enough everybody's going to die. And everybody needs to be prepared for eternity. I was reading about the Titanic the other day. And You know that great ship went down when they said it was unsinkable. I think they said even God couldn't sink the Titanic. Well, He didn't. He used an iceberg, okay? But God could have sunk it, and I believe He may have. But those passengers in the Titanic, some sailed in luxury, first class, Some who didn't have quite what others had sailed below deck in the steerage. But after the ship went down, after the tragedy occurred, and they took the tally of all that had happened in the office in New York, they only had two lists. One said saved, the other said lost. And you know, there's only two kinds of people, two categories of people in this world today. Regardless of your nationality, regardless of ethnic background, regardless of skin color, regardless of gender, regardless of your wealth or of your poverty, there's only two categories of people in this world, saved and lost. One preacher said saints and aints, okay? Either you're a saint or you ain't. You're either a child of God or you're not a child of God. I'm going to share some statistics with you this morning. Religious pollster George Barna, you've probably heard of him. Maybe you haven't. The Barna survey, the Barna polls. But he interviewed thousands of Americans on their beliefs. Listen to these statistics. 90% of Americans say they own Bibles. 90% of the citizens of this nation. 83% say that Jesus is the Son of God. 78% of Americans believe that there is a personal God to whom they pray on a regular basis. Now, isn't that odd that 90% own Bibles and 83% say Jesus is the Son of God, but only 78% believe in God that they pray to on a regular basis? 73% of Americans agreed with this statement. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Again, amazing. Look at it, 83% say Jesus is the son of God, but only 73% say, well, we believe he was raised from the dead. 67% of Americans call themselves Christians, 67%. But some have estimated that only 35% of those who have actually made professions of faith really do know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's troubling, folks. Barna asked this question. Who preached the Sermon on the Mount? Now that's, if you know anything about the Bible, that's a relatively easy question to answer, isn't it? Only 32% of the people surveyed knew that Jesus Christ preached the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, you know what the number two answer was? Billy Graham. This question was asked. Who came first? Abraham or Moses. I'll let you think about that one for a moment because 69% of the people got it wrong. Abraham came before Moses. Okay, just in case you're wondering if you didn't know. Abraham came before Moses. There's so many people today. And I talked about this in the Sunday school class just as we were closing. And I said... The Great Commission explains one of the reasons I do like I do. We not only are to lead people to Christ as Savior, we're to make disciples of people. You can't make a disciple of a lost person. After they're saved, we encourage them to get baptized. But how are we on teaching people to observe or to do everything that Christ has commanded? And that has just affected me throughout my years of ministry that we need to teach, we need people to learn, we need people to know what the Word of God says. So much of our nation and so many, listen, so many Baptist folks are biblically illiterate. Not because they can't learn, they have chosen not to learn. And so they'll have a question and they'll call the preacher and ask the question of the preacher. You know, it's real tempting sometimes to say, and I'm, I know it's being a smart eloquent when I do, it's real tempting sometimes to say, well, look it up for yourself. And I'm not going to do that. If you have a question, call me, ask me your question. I'll answer your question. You may have heard of J. Vernon McGee, radio preacher, J. Vernon McGee, once estimated that 75% of church members might not be genuinely saved. And, folks, when I look at the number of members that we have on our church roll and the number of people who show up on any given Sunday, I'm ready to believe what he says. Only 25% of those who get their names on a church roll. Billy Graham said one time, guess that 80% of the people who came to his evangelistic crusades had their names on the church roll already. But they came and they were saved under his preaching. What are you saying? I'm saying this, people join churches for many different reasons and it's not always because they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Amen. Some people join churches and I've seen this. Some people join church because they like the building. It's a pretty building. I want to go to church there. It's aesthetically pleasing, okay? Some join because they like the people and it's nice to like, you know, you ought to like the people you go to church with, right? I mean, it's hard to go to church with people you don't like. So you just ought to like the people. You ought to love the people you go to church with. Some may join because they like the preacher. But when he gets to preaching the word of God and it starts cutting into their hearts and into their lives, then they're not sure they like him that much anymore. And they may find somewhere else to go. I've heard of people joining a church because they wanted to use the church building for a wedding. You know, we sort of have a policy that only... And I think it says only the faithful members of this church can use the building for a wedding. And so some people say, well, I want to get married there. And so I'll just go join the church and then we'll get married there and then we'll say goodbye. But for many reasons, people join churches. And because of that, many times churches end up with church members who do not know Christ as Savior. Just remember The first church had a perfect pastor. And I'll say again, and you'll say amen to it, and that's okay, I don't mind. You do not have a perfect pastor. The first church had a perfect pastor, and it still had at least one lost church member, and his name was Judas Iscariot. Jesus said, have I not called 12 of you, and one of you is a demon, a devil. The title of this message is Missing Heaven by 18 Inches. The inspiration for the title came from something Sister Vicky posted a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, and I read it, and I said, hmm, that's a good sermon title. Let's begin reading with Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. What he's saying is you don't have to go to heaven to find Christ. You don't have to Go to the tomb or go to the grave and try to find Christ. He says this, but what saith it, the word is nigh thee. The word's near. Even in thy mouth and in thine heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. "...that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." And then verse 13, "...for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Now I want us to note some things that the Apostle Paul said to this church at Rome when he wrote this letter, or said of the Jews when he wrote this letter to the church at Rome. First of all, he said they have a zeal of God. They have a zeal of God. I think that describes many, many religious people today. They want to be pleasing to God. They know there's a God. They confess that there's a God, and they just want to do something to make God happy with them to please Him. But here's what Israel did. They saw the need... To establish some form of righteousness, if there is a God, and there is, then we must be right with Him. And so, what they did was, they set about to establish their own righteousness, their own form of righteousness. But know what He says: their zeal of God was not according to knowledge. That's biblical knowledge, all right. That's the truth. That's what we're talking about. See, it's okay to have a zeal of God, but your zeal of God needs to be according to the Word of God. It needs to be according to the truth. And Israel had this zeal, but it wasn't according to the Word of God. And that, again, describes so many people today. There are people in churches this morning listening to a preacher, maybe not hearing the truth, but they want to be right with God. But it's not according to knowledge, not according to the Word of God. And so they set out to establish, being ignorant of God's righteousness, they set out to establish their own righteousness. Here's the standard you have to live by. And God had given them the law and they said, here's the law and you have to live according to the law if you're going to be right with God. And many, many tried to keep the law. And of course we know that nobody, the Apostle Paul told us this, nobody can keep the law. They had not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Simply stated, it's this, if you're wrong, you're wrong, no matter how sincere you are. People say, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. Yes, it does matter what you believe because you can be sincerely wrong. I can look down here and have a bottle of poison down here and sincerely believe with all of my heart that if I drink that bottle of poison, it won't bother me, it won't harm me but I would be, even though I was sincere, I would be dead wrong. Amen. Right? So you can be sincere and you can be wrong at the same time. You say, but what does all of this have to do with 18 inches? What is the importance of 18 inches? How will people miss heaven by 18 inches? Do you realize that in a very general sense, 18 inches is the distance between the head and the head? and the heart. And the Word of God says it is with a heart that man believes unto righteousness. He did not say it is with the head that man believes unto righteousness. Salvation is a matter of the heart. So many people in our world today have heart issues. They have heart problems because they don't know Christ as Savior. I'm going to talk about in this message some ways that people will miss heaven by 18 inches. Of course, first of all, we know that the fool is going to miss heaven. You say, what fool? What are you, who are you talking about? Psalm 14, 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Because they will not acknowledge God, because they want to deny God, those people who say, well, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I got news for you, the Bible calls, God calls you a fool, and you're going to miss heaven. Some people are just too smart, they think, to believe in God but then some will miss heaven because they believe that they are too good to need salvation. They just believe they're too good to need salvation. Many people think that salvation is rooted in the merits of men. What can I do? Or what have I done? They hope they're going to heaven. You ask them, well, you're going to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. I'm doing the best I can. And many are on their way to hell today, not... Because they are thieves, not because they're drug addicts, not because they're drunks, not because they're murderers, but because they've never been any of those things. See, here's what they believe. They think that the gospel is made for the thief. The gospel is made for the drug addict. The gospel, and it is by the way, but it's for them too, the gospel is made for the drunk. But then they say, well, it's certainly not made for me because I'm too good to be condemned. I worked with a man like that. You would try to talk to him about the Lord, here's what he would say. He I'm a good person. I think I'm going to heaven. And he based his eternity on the fact that he thought he was a good person. You know what these folks are doing? They're trusting their own quote unquote religion. The Apostle Paul was like that. You go back and you read in the third chapter of Philippians and you look at his social standing. You look at his background. He said, I'm of the stock of Israel. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And certainly, if nationality, if genealogy, if any of those things made any difference in going to heaven, Paul was saying, I'm going to go because look at what I was. In his religious standing, he would say, as touching the law, man, I'm blameless. I have kept the law. I'm a good person. I'm a good individual. But you know what? Folks like that are ignorant of God's righteousness. I'm talking about God's standard of righteousness. You know what God's standard of righteousness is? Jesus. Jesus. That's the standard of righteousness that God demands. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20? Talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and so forth, he said, I say unto you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious elite, they were the uppity ups of religious society. People thought you can't get any more righteous than a scribe or a Pharisee. But Jesus said, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs because their righteousness indeed was a self-righteousness. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not man's works. I go back to Paul's life, if you just read there in the third chapter and the eighth and ninth verses of Philippians, after he's talked about his life and all that he was and all that he did, he said, all of that counted as nothing but trash when it came to righteousness before God. People believe that salvation is a reward for righteousness. No, salvation is a gift for the guilty. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this one time, the worst form of human badness is human goodness, if it keeps you from salvation. And so many people today think they are just too good, that they don't need to be saved. I'm alright preacher, don't you worry about me. No, if you have never repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, you are lost, you are bound for hell and you need to be saved today. Amen. But you know then there are people who think they're too bad to be saved. Have you ever talked to somebody and they said something like this? You invite them to church. Oh, if I walked in a church building, the roof would cave in. I just tell them we've got real good strong beams up there. It's not going to, don't worry about it. It's not going to cave in on you. But there are people like that. And they seem to be proud of their badness. I'm just too bad to be saved. Well, you know, the Bible talks about some folks that were pretty bad folks that were saved. You remember a man named Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. But he was a thief, he was a corrupt man, he was a publican. Now we know what the publicans were. Publicans were Jews who worked for the Roman government to collect taxes. And the publicans were not the most honest people in the world. Now they might be honest toward the Roman government because Rome would make sure they were. But if they went out to collect taxes and they could get more than the taxes that were owed, they'd give Rome what Rome demanded and they'd pocket the rest. And that's what Zacchaeus was. In fact, if you look at Luke 19 verse 2, it says Zacchaeus was the chief among the publicans and he was rich. Now, it wasn't his wealth that made him a bad person. It was the way he gained his wealth. Listen, I don't begrudge anybody, and you shouldn't either, their wealth if they have gotten their wealth honestly. I mean, if God decided to bless you with money, thank him for it and use it to serve him. But don't, and we should never get our wealth in an ungodly and a a dishonest manner. But Zacchaeus was a publican and he would say today he ripped people off. And in fact, in verse 8, when you read his confession after his salvation, his confession to Jesus, what he said was, and he revealed his activity, he said this. He said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And listen to this. And this way we do things sometimes. If I have taken... Anything from any man by false accusation, i restore it fourfold. See, sometimes we want to do wrong and say, well, if I did something wrong, I want to apologize for it. No, and Zacchaeus says that. He said, well, if I've gotten any gain by false accusation, I want to restore that fourfold. That's what kind of a person he was. But salvation came to his house one day in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another man. I want you to listen to his confession about himself. And this man's name is Paul. During the time that he was doing the things we're going to look at, his name was Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul, saved on the road to Damascus. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says that he is the chief of sinners. Now, if you've ever witnessed to somebody and they tell you that I'm too much of a sinner to be saved, just tell them, take them to 1 Timothy 1, 15 and tell them this, God's already saved the chief of sinners. God's already saved the worst sinner. He's already saved, number one, so he can save every other sinner. So you're not too much of a sinner in order to be saved. But Paul called himself the chief of sinners. In fact, in verse 13, in that first chapter, here's what he says. He says that he was a blasphemer, that he was a persecutor, and that he was injurious to God's people. We know what he did. In fact, the day he was saved, he was on his way to Damascus to drag people away and put them into prison and might even have some put to death. In fact, he held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death, if you Amen. will read the seventh chapter of Acts. Here was a man who was, we would say, a bad man. He was opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen nine. he said, For I am the least of the apostles. That am not meet to be called an apostle? Because I persecuted the church of God. You know, and I think Paul kept that in his memory all of his life. There was a time in my past that I persecuted the very one I'm working for. I persecuted the Lord's churches. I persecuted God's people. And in Galatians chapter 1 verse 13, he said, Beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And that word wasted means ravaged it. He wasn't just opposed to Christ and to Christians. He hated Christ and he hated Christians and he hated churches and he wanted to see them wiped off the face of the earth. And God saved Paul. Don't ever let anybody tell you that they're too bad to be saved. God can save anyone But they have to have a desire to come to know Jesus Christ, the Savior. You don't realize that prior to the salvation of these, they had not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. But look at the difference between them. One was a very religious man and the other wasn't. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or not religious. It doesn't matter whether you go to church or don't go to church. It doesn't matter if you're a church member or not a church member. If you're not saved, you need to accept Christ today. I hope this will hit some hearts That are watching by live stream. Hopefully, that we have people who are not members of this church, maybe some even in a foreign land somewhere, that would watch this and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ presented today. As I said, I hope no one here needs this message. But if you do, I hope you're listening to it. And some people will miss heaven because they are too religious. Religion and salvation are completely different. Religion is the devil's business, and the devil is big in religion. We have so many religions all over this world today, we couldn't name them all. We'd hear some and say, I don't even know what that is, and I do that from time to time. What is that? But religion is, is the devil's business. Salvation is God's business, and that's how separate the two are. Remember Paul's acknowledgement of his life, his background that we talked about just a few moments ago. He was a religious person, a member of the religious elite. He said, I was a Pharisee. You couldn't get any more religious than being a Pharisee. He had such a zeal, again, for those who were not of his religion, that he wanted to persecute them, that he wanted to wipe them out. Again, it's touching the law and righteousness. He said, I was blameless. And yet this religious man needed to be saved and was saved on the way to Damascus. There's another religious man. Third chapter of the book of John, he came to Jesus by night. He also was a Pharisee, Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus. And he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But some folks think they're just too religious And they don't need to be saved. Listen. And this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble. And some folks are going to get upset with me right now. But I'm going to say it. There are a lot of folks on the rolls of Baptist churches. Who think that one of these days. They're going to stand before God. And they're going to hold up their church membership card. And they're going to say. I was a member of Bethel Baptist Church. And I'm going to get into heaven. And everything's going to be okay. Guess what? It's not. If that's what you're depending on. Your membership in a Baptist church or any church, your membership in this church, if that's what you're depending on to get you into heaven, you're going to be surprised one of these days. Some think they can hold up an offering record. They can hold up a baptismal certificate. They can hold up an attendance record or Sunday school pen. You remember Sunday school pens? Some may have grown up with them, some may not have, but used to they give out pens. If you didn't miss Sunday school for, I don't know, three months, six months, nine months, a year, whatever, you'd get a pin. And every time you get a pen. And, and I heard about this one lady who just kept adding to her pens. And she hadn't missed church in so long that her pins got so long that one day she'd walk along and tripped over her Sunday school pens and broke her leg and had to miss Sunday school one day. But there are gonna be some folks who hold up. Their attendance record. And they say look. Look at me God. Look at how good I've been. I get to enter heaven. And God's saying. Good for you. But it's not going to happen. Because they do not have. The blood of Jesus Christ applied. You remember what Isaiah chapter 64. Verse 6 says. But we are all. As an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Those filthy rags, again, were the rags that were used to wrap the oozing sores of leprosy. That's what he's referring to right there. That's what man's righteousness is. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. All man wants to depend upon his righteousness, his religiosity... And it's not, there. it's not going to avail him. A lot of people think that God's going to grade on the curve. Seriously. They just feel that way. See, they think that the Charles Mansons and the Jeffrey Dahmers and the Adolf Hitlers and the Ayatollah Khomeini's and Saddam Hussein's and people like that have just lowered the bar so low that God will just grade on the curve. That they're way above that curve. But remember what Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. If somebody thinks, well, I came to church today. I gave my money to God today. I listened to the preacher today. And for that reason, God's going to say, oh, you're righteous. Come on into my heaven. You're going to be sorely disappointed. But here's the crux of missing heaven by 18 inches. Some people believe that because they believe in God, here, because they believe in God, that God's going to just let them go to heaven and enter heaven. They believe believing in God with a head makes them righteous. Listen to James 2.19. You're familiar with this verse, I'm sure, but James 2.19, James says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know what James is saying? He's saying, you believe in God? Big deal. Big deal. The demons believe in God. The devil believes in God. And in fact, the devil and his demons do more than some humans do when they have a thought of God. They tremble. I've seen people that you talk to them about God. You talk to them about heaven and hell. You talk to them about salvation. You can't even raise a sweat on them. They're not worried about it, but the demons and the devil believe in God and they tremble. It's not a head belief that brings salvation. It's not just because I believe that God exists that brings salvation. It is a decision of the heart and of the will that determines to accept God at his word, first of all, and then... Having accepted God at his word that all have sinned and come so to the glory of God, they're willing to confess or to agree with God. Yes, Lord, I am a sinner and I need to be saved. And therefore, they turn to God and they accept and apply the blood of Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's what salvation is. Look at verses 9 and 10 of our text. That if thou shalt confess With thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's with the heart, the seat and center of your will, and your desires, and your decisions that you believe unto the righteousness. With the mouth confession is made to salvation. Salvation is not just some intellectual belief. It is possible for a person intellectually to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That Jesus lived a good life. That he performed miracles. That he willingly went to the cross and then gave himself on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. That they buried him and put him in that tomb and then he came out of the tomb just like you said he would and he ascended back into heaven and he's coming back someday it is possible for a person to believe all of that intellectually and still be lost because they made no decision of the heart remember what the Roman ruler said to Paul he said almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian and so many people I like that. Was it Felix that trembled at the gospel of Jesus Christ? And yet we have no record of him ever accepting the Lord Jesus as Savior. Salvation is trusting the Lord Jesus and it is committing everything to him. Everything to him. It's saying, and by that I mean believing and living, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of my life. And he ought to be Lord of my life. Somebody said this, if we don't receive who he is, we can't have what he gives. And folks, that's not talking about works for salvation. That's not what that is. What it's talking about is it means that we are willing to bow our knee before the Lord Jesus and to accept him as Lord over our lives and to give him our lives. I put this on Facebook the other day. I said it was a part of the message. I want to read it just the way I put it. I thought of this one day. When you truly see Jesus for who he is. And what he endured for you. When you see his righteousness. And your unrighteousness. Listen you cannot help but be broken before him. He is everything and I am nothing. He is holy and I am unholy. He is righteous, and I'm unrighteous, and only by the imputed righteousness of Christ can I have any righteousness before God. And do you know that in the New Testament, Jesus is only referred to as Savior about 10 times, but as Lord more than 700 times? See, we talk about all making Jesus Your Savior, we ask people to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. You know what we need to do? Instead of asking people to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we need to start asking people to come to Jesus and receive Christ and surrender to him as Lord of your life. And I tell you what he'll do, he'll save you if you'll do that. We need to make him Lord. It is with the heart that we believe unto righteousness. It is with the mouth that confession is made. Acknowledgement is made unto salvation and confession is very important. You know why? Because confession shows possession. Confession shows possession. See, if you're truly saved, you will not be ashamed of our Lord. If you are truly saved, you will not be ashamed to be identified with our Lord. Look at verse 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 8, verse 38? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, that word of shame there in the book of Romans has this idea, to blush with shame. To blush with shame. See, if you're truly saved, you're not going to blush with shame when it comes to Jesus. I think we've gotten in our world where nobody blushes anyway, any time anyway. But if you're truly saved, you'll not blush with shame when you talk about Jesus. But there in Mark 8, when Jesus said he'd be ashamed of that person that's ashamed of him in front of the Father and the angels... That word means to feel shame or disgrace. Jesus would feel shame or disgrace for those who are ashamed of him. i want to close with one more scripture reference. It's three verses. Three verses we're familiar with. It's in the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew, beginning in verse 21. Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord... Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Today we'd say preached in his name. And in thy name have cast out devils or demons. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then when I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I cannot imagine standing before the Lord and hearing him say, I never New. That word new has the idea of having a close personal relationship, of hearing the Lord say, i never had a close personal relationship with you. Depart. But that's going to happen to some religious folks. Because you look at what he said. He said, we've prophesied. There's going to be preachers in hell. We've cast out demons. Well, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. A demon will let you think he's cast out when he's not. And done many wonderful works. And you've heard me say this before, but oh yes, I sang in the choir. I played the instruments. I sang specials. I led the music. I was a deacon. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was there every Sunday. But if you don't have a close personal relationship with Jesus, you're going to hear one of these days, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's possible to confess with the mouth and not believe with the heart. It's possible to refuse to confess with the mouth and not to believe in the heart. I hope no one under the sound of my voice has done either of those. True salvation is not a matter of due, folks. It's a matter of done. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. He did it. I'm afraid that many people are going to miss out on heaven Because they want to come to God, but they want to come to God on their terms and not come to God on his terms. Jesus wants to be both Lord and Savior of our lives. And so my concluding question in this message this morning is this. Have you surrendered all to Jesus? You say, well, I know him as Savior. No, he wants to be Lord also. He wants rulership over your life. That's not just for preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers. The Lord wants rulership, kingship, headship over the lives of each and every one of us on a daily basis. Have you made him Lord? It's possible by just 18 inches to miss heaven because people believe in their head and not in their heart. Would you stand please?